0: G'day and welcome to the Pursuit of Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Rosie Burrows, and I'm on a journey to find my freedom so that I can help you do exactly the same. Join me each week as I share the stories of everyday people who have found their own path to freedom. I'm not gonna focus on job titles and accolades because I don't care about that stuff, and neither should you. I want to uncover what truly makes you tick. Who are you when you step away from society's expectations? follow your heart. I still haven't figured it out yet. Have you? Either way, buckle up because it's going to be one hell of a ride. Welcome back to another episode. Joining me today is Lydia Lowry-Busler. Lydia, thank you so much for joining me this morning or it's probably evening where you are, is it?
1: It's going on toward evening. It's it's late afternoon and late I am afternoon. very excited to be able to join you from all the way across the world. <laughs>
0: yeah, thank you. I love Amazing it. It's what we can do. It really is. It's great being able to to talk with people all around the world, which I think, you know, that wasn't always possible and it's great. I feel um, privileged to be able to have you here because you're a really interesting and exciting person and I think our listeners are going to get a lot of value today. Um, And where I like to start in lots of these episodes is with your story. I'm really interested to just hear from your point of view. What is your story? If we go way back to Lydia as a little child, what brought you joy? What were some of your fears and what was your, what's been your journey?
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, it's, uh, I almost feel like I've, I've gone through different lifetimes you know uh Mm -hmm, i am probably mm -hmm. not alone in that feeling feeling that way but um i came into this world and um apparently i sang before i talked
0: (laughs) wow that's beautiful yeah so yeah
1: um and i had a um I had a relationship just with my with my mother for a uh, a long time and that was I think a, a really good time of my of my life um mm. and I just had a lot of baking and flowers and then I went into a period of my life in which there was a lot of um there was there was love, but there was also a lot of. It became kind of a, a perfectionistic um, creature because there was a lot expected of me. I was an I was an only child. I learned a lot of compassion growing up because my my growing up was a was um, something where we always took in little little creatures uh, that that needed needed help and needed, mm. um, needed, needed solace where we're calling out cause they had no, no mother just, you know, needed aid. And we, and, and so I really learned compassion, but somehow I, I got just s- swept into a, um, and I, I don't even really know how it started per se, but I, I got, um, for about ten years, I was in a a pattern of, of abuse from many many people, and it was it was really really um, quite serious. But I so it it kind of created who I. Am though because I had this basis of compassion and forgiveness. I somehow, though I didn't know it when I was in the middle of all of this, I actually endured a lot of torture. I didn't realize at that time what um, what all that was going to mean to me, but. It created someone who has a kind of an alternative sleep schedule now, and it, it created um, in me when it when it came down to finally saying something and saying, you know, there were several times I think when I when I tried to say something and I I think a lot of people go through this but tried to say stop but we're so. We're so small and it's all we know and mm. uh, even going into being a teen, it's all we it's all we know. Mm. I stopped what was going on with several several people and I even though I I took a long time away from them, I've I've learned how to forgive. And that's how I've come a long, long way. That forgiveness is, it's for us. It's not, um, you know, he, we are not going to, we're not going to heal if we don't, if we don't forgive. So, and I, and the way that that happens is that I found that I'm extremely intuitive and I I, I can feel the pain that comes from other people, mm. and that they have that pain inside of them too, and that's all that they know. I'm very much a healer now, and I found that I had a lot of healing energy. Um, mm. A lot of that came out as creative energy mm. so i'm a, i'm a creative and mm-hmm. i went through music school and art school and <laughs> i wanted to be a veterinarian but uh i had all this creative energy and everybody said no you have to go <laughs> you have to go do this other stuff and i said yeah. oh, I, want to, I want to heal animals but um it ended up being the right thing Mm. but then so yeah being 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 young was for me a a a time of um it was a lot of distraction, a lot of trying to get through my my studies and and being not really told that I was doing well myself but but being told to other people how great a student i was and how great a musician i was and and i wouldn't be be told myself unless i got a not so great grade and then i'd be asked you know what the heck was going on with that you know oh my goodness um (laughs) <laughs> what do you think was going on with that? It was it was hard for me to get any work done and I usually got it done right before the class in the in the hallway right before mm. <laughs> to this day, <laughs> I push everything to the last minute. But, you know, I can
0: relate works. to that. You know <laughs> it,
1: it works it, I, I don't I, I don't give myself a hard time about it because I re- I, I used to you know, but I've realized that everything that makes me, me were, those were my ways of, of adapting and surviving. And they're not bad. Mm. They're, they're, they're strong. Mm-hmm. And they're perfectly valid ways of being. And they, they're, they're wonderful.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, thank you for sharing all that. And I, I want to touch on this theme of of pain because I know last time we spoke we were talking about how we're often told or we believe this narrative that we're broken and we can't get through our pain. I think a lot of us get stuck in that and it sounds like mm. you've managed to do a lot of healing. So can you talk a bit more about getting to a space where you're where you can be ready to heal?
1: That was one sort of lifetime and I think I, I think I healed some from that, but I think all that compassion for me was for other people and later I had to have the compassion for myself and that was a, that was a big step. Where I, where I learned that and going, going, actually through the th- through the the work and through the pain was in a in a really bad car accident um and i i had um and it was a it was a freak accident i don't i don't really i remember before it and i remember after it but i had amnesia during it so i ended up in the hospital for three months so wow. But during that time, um, I have kind of a soft spot in my in for for hospitals in a in a strange way. I mean, right at the moment, our our healthcare system is kind of failing here now. It's mm. it's becoming more and more understaffed, and, and and we don't have the care that we used to have because it's it's kind of falling apart. But back then, we did have better healthcare. And it, it, definitely, it definitely saved my life. And, and that care that I was getting, I really felt it. I really noticed what, what that was like while I was laying there. Um, and granted, I was stuck there. But I didn't say, oh, you know, poor me. I was stuck there. I had a lot of pain. I had some internists who came in and they I was having a an allergic reaction and I didn't know it I didn't have any reason to know it no one had a Mm -hmm. reason to know it it was called a dystonic reaction and it was to some medication that I that I was being given on a drip Mm -hmm. and um I had had a huge surgery to take out my spleen which had been pulverized and and my and half of my pancreas that had been squished but this but this medication was causing me to sort of bend backwards and get very stiff and bend backwards on myself and it was you know, pulling against the, the the surgery and and was mm. was making it very um, it was very very painful
0: mm-hmm.
1: And what these internists would say was, just calm down calm down and it you know nobody's nobody has ever said nobody's ever calmed down when they were told to just calm down first of all (laughs) second of all i couldn't do anything about it and i couldn't tell them that because i couldn't talk because it was it was pulling at my mouth it was it was dystonia, and if you, if you know what dystonia is, people who have it happen to them, it um, it causes involuntary muscle contractions in the part of their body that they're having it in. So this was causing this in my whole body as a mm-hmm. reaction to the drug that they were giving me constantly, and it, it would have uh, it's it's a very deadly thing is it eventually will will take over all of your muscle contractions finally a nurse came in and recognized what was happening and said you know you bozos she's having a dystonic reaction and she and you know we have to get her off of this and get her on some benadryl the head of surgery got them off of the case and actually fired them <laughs> from it, oh, wow. it was yeah. very it was very very serious. But that was huge. That was huge for me. Those two even though I went through that situation, I'm not I don't stick with the the horrible, you know, I don't even really think right. about the horrible. It's part of the story. I but those two people, the, the doctor and the nurse, were they were my champions. Mm. So going through that, I, I really had a chance to work on myself and what had been my life before and, and really work on the pain and what was going on as I, as I went forth. Um, one thing i'm I'm not mentioning because it doesn't really have anything to do with going going forward is that I actually in that car accident at very first after twenty four hours, I actually died and came back to life like it was that they saved me when they went in for the surgery so it was that close it doesn't really have a bearing on going through it was just I I did get this idea that that I had to endure it sounds kind of optimistic like oh you know I was saved but there's a there is a flip side to that when there's all this stuff going on and and you almost die and you don't you just have to go through all this pain you can just you know say why me why do mm. i have to endure all this pain why can't you just let me die and That's not where I was. I was like, I'm going through this and I'm going to the other side. Uh, There's a vision of myself healed and that's what I had, but I had to go through the pain first all of the pain so there's the there's the mental anguish and the mental anguish for me was like the mental anguish of other people too because of my empathy and then really just holding all of it for myself and saying hey there's you you have to heal you and then healing the physical pain. In those three months, I, I couldn't eat or, or drink. So because the pancreas takes care of all of that and it's too stimulating mm-hmm. for it. It means that, that my, my digestion now is not great but I, I take digestive enzymes. It's, it's a, it's a thing though, that once that all calms down, we can start to introduce food gradually. So, um, that's what I did. And I, I came out, my knee was kind of squished in that accident too, but I didn't, but we were, we were busy, you know, fixing the rest of me and, yeah. and, I, and I started to just, you know, live life again. And, and I would, i biked and hiked and and oh. skied and you know did did things and then all of a sudden one day like five years later um my my knee gave out like completely and I thought okay what's this and it's that uh I had a I had a ligament that was hanging on by a thread from that old wow. accident wow so I said okay you know that's that's going to be nothing, you know, it's just going to, let's just fix this, fix this old knee and, and it'll be Mm -hmm. fine. But apparently it was kind of a, a strange injury. So, uh, the doctor that I had had, had done his doctoral thesis on this, but the surgery had only been done like 50 times in, uh, at all and it hadn't it had oh. been done like on the west coast of the united states and i was on the east coast mm-hmm. i i said okay you know i'll do this and um said you know you don't have to you could wear this big black brace and just keep just uh you know i said no i trust you i'll do i'll do it and, well, and i did yeah. trust him i really i trusted him and he kept putting it off he said i've got more research and i you know i want to make sure that we do the really good job on this mm-hmm. and we had an anesthesiologist that i trusted and so Finally, got to the day that we we were doing the the surgery, and I was being put under. And at the last minute, they changed the anesthesiologist, and I remember thinking, "This guy is an idiot," which is you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. terrible. But when I woke up eleven hours later, it was a huge long surgery.
0: Wow! Yeah.
1: Uh, right.
0: <laughs> yeah, eleven um, hours. Wow.
1: Yeah. Well, they do this thing where they take, this was a posterior cruciate ligament uh, in the back of the the knee. And then they also did medial collateral and the lateral collateral going up the sides of the knee. Wow! Um, So what they do is they take out the front of uh, a strip out of the front of the patella tendon. And they string it in back behind the anterior cruciate ligament and they put it in as the posterior cruciate ligament, the tendon dies, and then it grows in new blood vessels and it becomes ligament. It's fascinating. Wow. Yeah. yeah, wow. But it takes a while. Mm. So when something like that happens, a and the anesthesiologist's job is not only to take care of the anesthesia, but also to take care of the tourniquet. Because you don't Mm -hmm. want blood flowing in there all the time, but you can't leave a limb not having blood for all that time. So they're supposed to take it off every two hours. Right. And um, when I came to, the nurse there said, you don't, uh, I've never seen any, I've never seen a tourniquet left on that long. I thought, well, that's strange. Oh my
0: God. Yeah,
1: And I was just really sick because that was a long time. Mm-hmm. A lot of anesthesia. And
0: I, yeah.
1: Uh, my mom was there and she was like, oh, that's weird. My leg was huge. It was like,
0: mm.
1: um, it was huge. It was like <laughs> as wide as the bed. It was huge. And mm. it actually stayed like that for a couple of weeks if the swelling wow. didn't go down. And... um when it did go down, my whole leg went down to bone. It was like, there was no, it atrophied Mm. in two weeks. So that was really strange. And it was also Mm. outrageously painful, like Mm. more painful than the surgery five years before. More painful than anything. To make a kind of really long story, a little shorter, they, they gave me, they, they pretended to try to figure out what was wrong. They, they gave me epidurals. They did all sorts of things and they, um, but what was really wrong was that all of my nerves had died. The sympathetic nerves, the sensory nerves, the motor nerves and their sheets had all died from my thigh down. Uh because um, on the records, which I requested, the tourniquet had only been taken off for the first two hours, the second two hours, and the third two hours, Um, and then the rest of the time it had been left on. So it had been left on for like the last five hours. So all those nerves died. So I sent the records off to a lawyer and they said I had a huge case. And I was talking to them every day, but I also like, I was getting no sleep. I was screaming from the pain. It was, it was, Mm. um, it was like knives. It was like swords going up through my foot and into my leg. It was really weird pain and very, Mm. very specific. And it was what's called phantom pain, because my brain thought right. I didn't have a leg anymore. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the lawyer stopped uh, calling. And then I called mm. a few days later, and they acted like they didn't know me. Mm. And then finally, they were like, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we've got your stuff. Uh, we There's no, there's no, we don't see any um, case here. We don't see any. And, all right. So I asked for my records back, and my records had all been altered. Oh. I sent them the original. So um, so I looked for the nurse to get her as a witness, and she Mm -hmm. was nowhere to be found anymore.
0: Whoa. Yeah.
1: Nowhere. She didn't work at the hospital anymore. Nothing. So, my family was all saying, You have to sue the lawyer. You have to sue the doctor. You Mm. have to, you know, do all this. The doctors were saying, You're never going to walk again because nerves don't regenerate like that. They, you, it's like an eighth of an inch a year, and we can't really help you. We can't Mm. guarantee that pain will ever stop. And my partner at the time was saying, This is no quality of life for you um you know let's see what we can try to try to do to maybe compassionately end your life and i and i just said no um Mm. i'm perfectly fine Mm. there's nothing wrong with me and i just kind of denied everybody and i envisioned myself at that point really strongly Mm. out in the garden and with two whole legs and I just made myself walk wow By yelling and screaming and making myself walk, you know, by going, that wasn't. It wasn't like I envisioned myself being well, and then I, I, I went to sleep, and you know, it magically made itself
0: well. Yeah.
1: I, I then did a lot of work, and I, and somehow with that focus, I identified what I needed. I worked really hard with some physical therapists. I identified some really good ones. I worked every day, and I had a really good osteopath. I ate a lot of raw eggs, (laughs) and I grew back my nerves, three feet of them in a year and a half. Wow,
0: Wow. and you were saying doctors were telling you it's about an eighth of an inch a year that they'll grow.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. I did the I did the impossible with that. Uh-huh. So
0: how how do you think that happened? What are your thoughts on it, that? I think it's the
1: It's the thing about we have to envision something. I don't know how I knew. I think I think it was partially that my situations were dire. But when I was having the phantom pain, it was like, how can I still be awake and and feeling this? You know, why haven't I passed out from this pain? Yeah. This is yeah. ridiculous. Um, I'm really, I'm really very tolerant of pain. You know, I'm I'm mm-hmm. good with that. But that pain was ridiculous. It was because it wasn't. Phantom pain is kind of not real because obviously. You know, like, for example, even though I was feeling these knives in the bottom of my foot, they they weren't there. Mm, mm. But I couldn't stop feeling them. And this is the same Mm -hmm. thing that that war veterans, when they have their legs amputated, that's what what they have. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what they're going through. So that wasn't going to go away. And it's when we when we have these situations and and we envision what we have to do to help ourselves cuz nobody else is helping us mm. so, so i think um and that's and that's why i'm doing what i'm doing now i i mean i've been a musician on stage for for a while. And now I, I don't care that much about being on stage. Mm. I, I, am perfectly comfortable on stage. I'm fine, but I don't, I want to, I want to help people heal because I didn't have, I didn't have the help. I didn't have anybody to tell me these things. No. Yeah. And, but if I can, if I can tell people how to do this, if I can be that support, um, mm. I want to, I want to be able to do that, to really, to really demonstrate how to envision exactly where we not only want to be, but to, to see that we, that's where we are. And when we see where that, that's where we are, we have to go through all the pain to get there because we're not, it's not going to be any I mean, without any without any fear, because it's not going to be any worse than what we're in, anyway. To, mm-hmm. we can't we can't avoid it. We can't sweep it under the rug. It's not going to go away. If we have emotional trauma, it's not going to go away by sweeping it under the rug. It mm-hmm. does not go away. It's going. Mm-hmm. It, it's it comes out in in all sorts of misery every day and i think you know anybody listening to this knows that the drinking the harsh times with partners the the you know things that happen at work and we don't know why they keep happening to us and the the self-loathing and the the things that we that we just go through and eventually the 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 parts of our body that that just go against us because we've kept all of that inside. That's a long, long, torturous road. We're gonna go through it no matter what. If we go through it and we see ourselves as being Healed, and you know, by being healed, it doesn't mean that that we don't revisit these things sometimes. Right. But we can, we revisit them, and we can we can look at these things without beating ourselves up. We look at these things with our with our our sage, you know, beautiful, wise person, mm. and know what we've learned from this stuff. It's mm-hmm. so. It's so important to go th- go through it because it's the fastest way.
0: And yet we, I think, and I know for me, my natural instinct is often to try to avoid the pain. But in fact, by doing that, I'm making it worse. Yeah. Um, which, yeah. you know, we, we, we can really work against ourselves. But I want to go back to, you know, you've ex- you experienced a really traumatic event that wasn't just a one and done, you know, this this stretched on over a long period of time. And, mm. you know, it would be very easy to get very angry and play the blame game mm. and sort of externalize all of that. For me, just listening to the story, like it makes me angry hearing these things that happened. So how did you, how did you navigate and not fall into that, that blame game?
1: Right, a, f- a fair amount of people have been sort of angry on my behalf and I think that that's um, it's a good question I think that I found myself more blameful um, interestingly enough when I I used to I used to be in I used to be married um, and I'm divorced which is is fine you know people mm-hmm. people separate and that's a that's actually a good thing in that we can mm-hmm. we can have a relationship and then grow apart yeah but while I was at the that part that way of thinking of that I think that I felt some... Blame because I was blamed and some, in, in the case of my, of my divorce. I think that's the, that's the only time I can think of when I, I felt that and I've, I've, I called myself out on it and I've realized that that, that was bringing me more, um, more misery because I was, I was having a lot of, um, a lot of financial woes brought up by mm-hmm. by that and mm-hmm. um sort of blaming the situation and the the person where even though there was some some stuff going on that happened because of that it's not like the person was trying to um cause a particular branding on me uh, that would you know cause that. And if I were to look um, at it in retrospect, I can also say almost everybody who has a domestic partner and separates finds that the um, that they have a period of financial upheaval that mm-hmm. is relative to the amount of time that they were together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as far as other things, my main thing, I think with the going backwards with the, with the anesthesiologist, mm-hmm. I felt at first kind of responsible, like that person could really, that person could kill somebody else, being, mm. being irresponsible, being, you know, I, I should take care of this. And I feel very much, I'm a, I'm a responsibility type of person. But Mm -hmm. apparently, you know, I feel great responsibility and I don't, I don't feel blameful so much when somebody else isn't responsible as much as I feel, I think, disappointed. Right. And that's where my, my um, personality goes, I guess, is, is just um, more toward a, toward a disappointment it's it's not going to um like my responsibility is my own
0: I think that's a really powerful um perspective to have because it's not easy to take responsibility for ourselves I wouldn't call that the easy path but I think it is the most meaningful and rewarding path and is that is this sense of responsibility, is this something that's always been there for you or is it developed over time?
1: I'm an only child to young parents and so I think that there is a little bit of that that is instilled. Certain, mm-hmm. I think certain types of people will have a different outlook on life as they have more responsibility placed upon them based on the on the needs of their family situation at the time or if if family members die and they're left responsible or you know that kind of situation might might create that you've made me think about an important Concept that I've been exploring a lot. I even I I wrote a book. I'm going to be actually publishing it. I've only self published wow. it so far, but it's it's not a huge book. But it's about the um, cultural pillars of mm-hmm. of happiness that uh, mm. that have come up through history. So it touches on on ikigai and mm-hmm. uh, eudaimonia and um, hedonism and stoicism and you know all the things mm-hmm. that people have have looked at in and continue to look at to in order to find happiness or, or just contentment the reason i'm i'm bringing this up is because the personal responsibility is one of the key tenets of eudaimonia which is the right. greek concept of of um it has to do with the characteristics um, or the the virtues that that people have that give them a, a personal contentment, and it it has to do with when you have personal responsibility and not accepting the responsibility of others, and and you know letting them have their responsibility, and then otherwise having uh, having good work and feeling a sense of, you know, completion in a good day's work and having it's, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of the way to say it. It's, it's the, Mm. the, um, you know, it's not all, um, it, it sounds, it sounds kind of serious, but it's actually, if you think about, how much more relaxing that is when you don't concern yourself with other people's responsibility and you do just take care of your own responsibility and you are actually satisfied with, with your work and you feel good about it. It's, it's, um, there are other parts of it too that have to do with 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 eating and and resting and and the mm. the different um, being what you what you read and what you um, how you take care of your body and and just all these things that have have you be content. But the but the idea of of being being actually contented in in our responsibility for ourselves is you know, I, I thought of this because you because you mentioned this and mm. maybe it's one of the things that is has actually helped me to be a positive person because it's it's something that I've realized in myself is that I'm kind of insanely positive. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it doesn't mean that I'm not, it doesn't mean that I don't have like depression too. like pause. This is Mm. something that people, I think sometimes don't realize that, um, positive people can be depressed. Depressed Mm. people can be positive. Um, Mm. it's, uh, it, you can, people can be, can be smiling and can, can still, um, can still have sadness, and you know there's there's all these different layers of stuff, so we we always want to you can't tell just by looking at somebody what's going exactly. on we always want to yeah. be kind to one another.
0: mm I mean we're complex beings, right and there's so many different layers and you know something that I is has become increasingly important to me over time is just trying to lead with empathy because, like you said, we just we don't know what people are going through and to judge it on face value is just um, it's a bit ridiculous, really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah.
1: Very much, yeah.
0: Mm, yeah, so I, I'm just sort of taking in what you were saying. You know, positive people can be depressed too and, there's this juxtaposition but i think that's that's part of the beauty and the balance of life and if we bring that back to pain you know the the most painful times in my life were probably losing both my parents both unexpected one in a freak accident and one sort of in a was more it was unexpected but over a period of 6 months as painful as they were and to lose my parents young you know 21 and 27 that's how old i was painful and yes feelings of anger and blame come up but i also think there has been so much opportunity and in a strange way beauty that has come out of those events and i'm curious how you feel about that with you know the painful events in your life do you see any sort of balance to that in your life
1: i do I feel like the highest highs are juxtaposed to the lowest lows. And it's just so it's just so beautiful to Mm. experience that. And even even to experience the beauty and pathos of the of the sadness, the the music that comes out of that the art that comes out of that, the 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 dance that comes out of that. There's just so much so much in in the world that's that's beautiful that comes out of out of sadness. And there is there is rebirth, there is renewal. That's such a high point afterwards, you know? It's it's yeah there's so much that's it's like this big big cycle and it it's um i don't think we we could appreciate it if it, if it was very flat you know
0: right how can we how can we enjoy those high moments without the low right and how can we ex- how can we actually feel through the pain if we haven't experienced that high, I agree. There's there's just this balance, and whilst it can feel unfair and and it's it's not easy, I think embracing the fact that some things are out of our control is important. But then then realizing what is in our control, because I feel like part of your healing journey is you took into your own hands your healing journey. You know, right. Um, you know, the things that happened leading up to that, a lot of it was out of your control. But then stepping forward, you're like, right, I'm not going to get caught up in that. There's still feelings to process there, but actually going, right, what can I control? And you were just, you. it sounds like you had so much determination and grit to get through that and this amazing positivity, which I think is powerful. And a, another thing I want to raise um, is that, healing is this ongoing journey I feel like yeah it's not you don't just heal and it's done onto the next thing (laughs) no Um, you know it is it is ongoing and I think you know the pain does stay with us it's different and it changes right but but it's still with us would you agree with that
1: yeah yeah I would agree with that I think that um we have a. Um, it can be a. It, it's almost like a, a a painting that's changed color.
0: Mm. Um mm. I love that. Yeah. But
1: I'm just thinking. You know, there are there are there are things that I. That happened in in between for for me that I'm I'm not mentioning after my car accident before my surgery when I was uh, still um, getting out the the last it wasn't the last but more of my more of what I was feeling about about my whole growing up and I I would. Go and um, movies really affected me a lot. I would, and it wouldn't matter what kind of movie it was, really. Mm. I mean, just even, it would, I would, I would be processing the world in the movies, and I would come out of the movie and just have to walk around on the sidewalks for a long time and just cry and just talk about all of the the injustices and all of the things that Mm -hmm. all of the people who weren't being seen and were hurting all of the animals that weren't being seen and were hurting all of the, you Mm -hmm. know, all of the injustices. And, and sometimes I would just, I would just beat the sidewalks. Literally I would be, you know, beat my fists on the sidewalks. I don't beat my fists on the sidewalks anymore. But there was mm-hmm. a, you know, there was a time when I did that. Mm-hmm. And and we we have those we have those times of processing. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it's like the picture the picture was a different color then. But mm. I I'm I'm glad for that. Mm-hmm. I I got into a a group. Then it was probably the best thing that happened because I had a I had a sort of a mandatory therapist at first, uh, and and that did almost nothing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got into a group after, uh, and it was full of just people from all walks of walks of life and we and we had a punching bag in there and we also had had just pillows and we got to do a lot of punching things um Mm -hmm. and and talking to each other and some of those some of those women were actively sex workers Mm mm-hmm they were so meek and non-verbal in the group, but they could punch things mm. and kick things, and it was so important. Mm. You know that group was really cathartic. Mm. It was it was good. I love being. Um, I love now just just listening. People.
0: Mm.
1: Mm. Witnessing them.
0: Can you tell us a bit more about some of the work you do in that space? Because you do do coaching, and I know you do a weekly telecast called The Joyful Path. And I'd love to hear a bit more about. What it's all about and why you do the work you do.
1: Sure, yeah. Well, the Joyful Path is the is the name of my new business. Um, mm-hmm. I've been I've been a coach in my performing business, coaching performers for a while, but now
0: mm-hmm.
1: I coach anyone, and it's all. A journey on the joyful path because it's, it's a joyful path to healing. Mm. So, what that what that is is that um, the joy is on the other side, and the joy is is through whatever it is that I've found that I'm really good at helping people remove barriers Mm. barriers are you know our own our own self-sabotaging to to um taking away our own our own pain so the things that that are in the way of us taking away our own pain are the stories the stories like you know like like doctors saying we can't heal or people People saying that we should do this or we shouldn't do that. We are each a a um, a big conglomeration of all the stories we've been told since we were since we were born, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So those things are they. Some of them are helpful, and a lot of them are barriers.
0: Right. Nice.
1: So that's a lot of that's a lot of what I what I do. My. Yeah. My Tuesday telecast on the on the joyful path is um, less telling anybody what to do and more um, like what you do, talking to people from um, all sorts of different places who who have either um, been recommended to me because they are they are on a joyful path themselves or. Mm-hmm. Um, they have already lifted themselves to to the joyful path and from that place they are lifting others to the joyful path cuz what i something that i'm fond of saying is that when we lift ourselves the the community or the world follows and in turn lifts us back mm-hmm. It's a little bit different than what I think a lot of people think of. They think lift others and then
0: yeah. we'll get lifted
1: back. But we have to lift ourselves first and then others will follow and lift us back. Yeah.
0: And and for some reason we find it so hard to lift ourselves. It's like it's so difficult and unnatural to put ourselves first. You right. know, but actually, great things happen when we do that—not just for ourselves, but like you say, right. those around us in the community. And I think right. the world is such a better place when we do that. So I think the work you're doing is incredibly important.
1: It's kind of funny how you how you when we don't do it, uh, how much we will end up looking strangely, like we're like we're selfish or like we're a mess or like we're broken or you know I, I, when we don't when we don't work on ourselves lift ourselves right. you know when we're just only lifting others it looks like we it looks like we want something or we right. or we you know it it actually we need to help ourselves
0: we do yeah yeah and to to tie this off can you describe for me what is the joyful path? If you had to distill that into a description, what does the joyful path mean to you? Yeah.
1: The joyful path is a place that is in our hearts, in our minds. It really, It's really got to start with listening to our heart and not to the reactions in our brains Mm. just really being felt in our hearts. What do we want? And are we there? Are we, are we going there? Are we, are we contented? Are we happy? Are we Are we healed or are we going toward being healed? Mm -hmm. And do we feel confident in getting there? Mm. Do we feel supported in getting there? Do we feel free?
0: Yeah, I love that. It creates such a strong visual and you mentioned free and that's some that's a concept I'm always thinking about. You know, this podcast is all about finding your freedom and I think it looks different for everybody and I think it very much ties into to your concept of the joyful path. I just want to say thank you so much for the amazing conversation today and just your raw honesty it was amazing hearing your story and some of the struggles, but also the amazing things that have come out of that pain for you. Here's to listening to our hearts and and finding our way on the joyful path. Let's start moving in that direction. Thank you so much, Lydia, for joining me today. Thank you so much, Rosie. This has been a pleasure. Oh, I'm glad. Thank you. This episode resonated with you at all. Could I please ask that you share it with a friend who you think could get value from it? And whilst you're doing that, make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss another episode. And whilst you're following or subscribing, please leave us um, a rating, preferably five stars, and also a written review. Doing each of these things is going to help this podcast reach more people and impact more lives, which is at the end of the day is what we're here to do. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Remember, you matter. You're worth it. And you are so, so capable. Take care of yourself. And I'll see you next week.